Chapter Twenty One of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One A Parley with the Enemy. Mr. Fladgate was one of those domestically inclined bachelors who are never really at ease in rooms or chambers, and whose tastes lead them, as soon as they possess the necessary means, to set up a substantial and well-regulated household of their own. He had a large, old-fashioned house in the neighbourhood of Russell Square, where he entertained rather frequently in a solid, unpretentious fashion. At his Sunday dinners especially, one or two of the minor celebrities of the day were generally to be met, and it was to one of these gatherings that Mark was invited, as one of the natural consequences of the success of Illusion. He found himself, on arriving, in company with several faces familiar to him from photographs, and heard names announced which were already common property. There were some there who had been famous once and were already beginning to be forgotten, others now obscure who were destined to be famous some day, and a few, and these by no means the least gifted, who neither had been nor would be famous at any time. There were two or three constellations of some magnitude on this occasion, surrounded by a kind of milky way of minor stars, amongst which the bar, the studios, and the stage were all more or less represented. Mark, as a rising man who had yet to justify a first success, occupied a position somewhere between the greater and lesser division, and Mr. Fladgate took care to make him known to many of the leading men in the room, by whom he found himself welcomed with cordial encouragement. Presently, when he had shifted for a moment out of the nearest focus of conversation, his host, who had been distributing himself, as the French say, amongst the various knots of talkers, came bustling up to him. "'Er, uh, Mr. Ashburn,' he began, "'I want you to know a very clever young fellow here. Known him from a boy. He's on the stage now, and going to surprise us all some of these days. You'll like him. Come along, and I'll introduce him to you. He's very anxious to know you.' And when Mark had followed him, as he threaded his way across the room, he found himself hurriedly introduced to the man with the cold light eyes whom he had met at the Featherstones on the day when he had recognised Mabel Langton's portrait. Mr. Fladgate had already bustled away again, and the two were left together in a corner of the room. Dolly's revelations of the terrorism this man had exercised over her had strengthened the prejudice and dislike Mark had felt on their first meeting. He felt angry and a little uncomfortable now, at being forced to come in contact with him, but there was no way of avoiding it just then, and Caffin himself was perfectly at his ease. "'I think we have met before, at Grosvenor Place,' he began blandly, "'but I dare say you have forgotten.' "'No,' said Mark, "'I remember you very well, and besides,' he added, with a significance that he hoped would not be thrown away, "'I have been hearing a good deal about you lately from the Langtons.' "'From Miss Langton, that is.' "'Ah,' said Caffin, "'that would be flattering to most men. "'But when one has the bad luck, like myself, "'to displease such a very impulsive young lady as Miss Langton, "'the less she mentions you, the better.' "'I might as well say,' returned Mark coldly, "'that, as to that particular affair in which you were concerned, "'whatever my opinions are, I formed them without assistance.' "'And you don't care to have them unsettled again "'by any plea for the defence. "'That's very natural. "'Well, with Miss Langton's remarks to guide me, "'I think I can guess what your own opinions of me is likely to be just now, 
and I'm going to ask you, as a mere matter of fair play, to hear my side of the question. You think that's very ridiculous, of course? I think we can do no good by discussing it any further, said Mark. We had better let the matter drop. But you see, urged Caffin, as it is, the matter has dropped, on me, and really I do think that you, who I understand were the means, of course from the best possible motives, of exposing me as a designing villain, might give me an opportunity of defending myself. I took the liberty of getting Fladgate to bring us together expressly because I can't be comfortable, while I know you have your present impressions of me. I don't expect to persuade Miss Langton to have a little charity. She's a woman. But I hoped you at least would give me a hearing. Mark felt some of his prejudice leaving him already. Caffin had not the air of a man who had been detected in a course of secret tyranny. There was something flattering, too, in his evident wish to recover Mark's good opinion. He certainly ought to hear both sides before judging so harshly. Perhaps, after all, they had been making a little too much of this business. "'Well,' he said at last, "'I should be very glad if I could think things were not as bad as they seem. I will hear anything you would like to say about it.' "'Quite the high moral censor,' thought the other, savagely. "'Confound his condescension!' "'I was sure you would give me a chance of putting myself right,' he said. "'But I can't do it now. They're going down to dinner. We will talk it over afterwards.' At dinner conversation was lively and well sustained, though perhaps not quite so sparkling as might have been expected from such an assembly. As a rule, those who talked most and best were the men who still had their reputation to make, and many of the great men there seemed content to expose themselves to such brilliancy as there was around them, as if silently absorbing it for future reproduction, by some process analogous to the action of luminous paint. Caffin was placed at some distance from Mark, and as, after dinner, he was entreated to sit down to the piano, which stood in the corner of the room to which they had adjourned, for cigars and coffee, it was some time before their conversation was resumed. Caffin was at his best as he sat there rippling out snatches of operatic morceaux, and turning round with a smile to know if they were recognised. His performance was not remarkable for accuracy, as he had never troubled himself to study music, or anything else, seriously. But it was effective enough with a non-critical audience. His voice, too, when he sang, though scarcely strong enough to fill a room of much larger size, was pleasant and not untrained, and it was some time before he was permitted to leave the music-stool. He rattled off a rollicking hunting-song, full of gaiety and verve, and followed it up with a little pathetic ballad, sung with an accent of real feeling. He could throw more emotion into his singing than his acting. While, although it was after dinner, the room was hushed until the last notes had died away, and when he rose at length with a laughing plea of exhaustion, he was instantly surrounded by a buzz of genuine gratitude. Mark heard all this, and the last remnants of his dislike and distrust vanished. It seemed impossible that this man, with the sympathetic voice and the personal charm which was felt by most of those present, could be capable of finding pleasure in working on a child's terrors. So that when Caffin, disengaging himself at length from the rest, made his way to where Mark was sitting, the latter felt this almost as a distinction, and made room for him with cordiality. Somebody was at the piano again, but as all around were talking, 
the most confidential conversations could be carried on in perfect security and caffyn seating himself next to mark set himself to remove all prejudices he put his case very well without obsequiousness or temper appealing to mark as a fellow man of the world against a girl's rash judgment you know he said in the course of his arguments i'm not really an incarnate fiend in private life miss langton is quite convinced i am i believe i saw her looking suspiciously at my boots the other day but then she's a trifle hard on me my worst fault is that i don't happen to understand children i'd got into a way of saying extravagant things you know the way one does talk rubbish to children well of joking in that sort of way with little what's her name she always seemed to understand it well enough and i should have thought she was old enough to see the simpler kind of joke at all events one day i chanced to chaff her about a stamp she took off some envelope well i dare say i said something about stealing and prisons all in fun of course never dreaming she would think any more of it a fortnight afterwards suddenly there's a tremendous hullabaloo you began it oh i know it was natural enough but you did begin it you see the child looking pale and seedy and say at once something on her mind well i don't know and she might have been such a little idiot as to take a chance word au grand sérieux it might have been something else on her mind or she mightn't have had anything on her mind at all anyway she tells you a long story about prisons and how one harold caffyn has told her she would go there and so on and you with that vivid imagination of yours conjure up a tearful picture of a diabolical young man me you know coldly gloating over the terrors of a poor little innocent ignorant child eh miss dolly's nearly ten and anything but backward for her age but that's of no consequence well then you go and impart some of your generous indignation to miss langton she takes it in a very aggravated form and gives it to me upon my word i think i've had rather hard lines mark really felt a little remorseful just then but he made one more attempt to maintain his high ground i don't know that i should have thought so much of the joke itself he said but you carried it on so long you saw her brooding over it and getting worse and worse and yet you never said a word to undeceive the poor child now you know with all respect to you ashburn said caffyn who was gradually losing all ceremony that about seeing her brooding is rubbish pure rubbish i saw the child i suppose now and again but i didn't notice her particularly and if i had i don't exactly know how to detect the signs of brooding how do you tell it from indigestion and how are you to guess what the brooding is about i tell you i'd forgotten the whole thing and that was what all your righteous wrath was based upon was it well it's very delightful no doubt to figure as a knight-errant or a champion and all that kind of thing particularly when you make your own dragon but when you come prancing down and spit some unlucky lizard it's rather a cheap triumph but there i forgive you you've made a little mistake which has played the very deuce with me at kensington park gardens it's too late to alter that now and if i can only make you see that there has been a mistake and i'm not one of the venomous sorts of reptiles after all why i suppose i must be content with that he succeeded in giving mark an uneasy impression that he had made a fool of himself he had quite lost the feeling of superiority under the tone of half humorous half bitter remonstrance which caffyn had chosen to take 
and was chiefly anxious now to make the other forget his share in the matter perhaps i was too ready to put the worst construction on what i heard he said apologetically but after what you've told me why well we'll say no more about it said caffyn you understand me now and that's all i cared about you may be a great genius my friend he was thinking but it's not so very difficult to get round you after all look here he continued will you come and see me one of these days it would be a great kindness to me i've got rooms in kremlin road bayswater number seventy two mark changed countenance very slightly as he heard the address it had been holroyd's there was nothing in that to alarm him and yet he could not resist a superstitious terror at the coincidence caffyn noticed the effect directly do you know kremlin road he said something made mark anxious to explain the emotion he felt he had given way to yes he said uh, a very old friend of mine had lodgings at that very house he was lost at sea so when you mentioned the place i i see said caffyn of course was your friend vincent holroyd i wonder you knew him cried mark you got the railway station effect that time thought caffyn i begin to believe my dear uncle touched a weak spot after all if he has a secret it's ten to one holroyd knew it knows it by jove oh yes i knew poor old holroyd he said that's how i came to take his rooms sad thing his going down like that wasn't it it must have been a great shock for you i can see you haven't got over it even yet no stammered mark no yes i felt it a great deal i uh, i didn't know you were a friend of his too did did you know him well very well in fact i don't fancy he had any secrets from me like lightning the thought flashed across mark's mind what if caffyn had been entrusted with holroyd's literary projects but he remembered the next moment that holroyd had expressly said that he had never told a soul of his cherished work until that last evening in rotten row caffyn had lied but with purpose and as the result confirmed his suspicions he changed the subject and was amused at mark's evident relief towards the end of the evening mr fladgate came up in his amiable way and laid his hand jocularly on caffyn's shoulder let me give you a word of advice he said laughing don't talk to mr ashburn here about his book shouldn't presume to said caffyn but do you come down so heavily on ignorant admiration ashburn eh oh it isn't that said mr fladgate it's his confounded modesty i shall be afraid to tell him when we think about bringing out another edition i really believe he'd like never to hear of it again mark felt himself flush come he said with a nervous laugh i'm not so bad as all that oh you're beginning to stand fire better but it's such a good story you must let me tell it mr ashburn particularly as it only does you credit well he was so ashamed of having it known that he was the author of illusion that he actually took the trouble to get the manuscript all copied out in a different hand thought he'd take me in that way but he didn't no no as you young fellows say i spotted him directly eh mr ashburn i'm afraid it's time for me to be off said mark 
dreading further revelations and too nervous to see that they could do no possible harm but the fact was caffyn's presence filled him with a vague alarm which he could not shake off good-natured mr fladgate was afraid he had offended him i do hope you weren't annoyed at my mentioning that about the manuscript he said as he accompanied mark to the door it struck me as so curious considering the success the book has had that i really couldn't resist telling it no no said mark it's all right i don't mind in the least i-i'm not ashamed of it why of course not said his host it will be something for your biographer to record eh you won't have another cigar to take you home well good-night good-night said mark and added some words of thanks for a pleasant evening had he had such a pleasant evening he asked himself as he walked home alone in the warm night air he had been well treated by everybody and there had been men present whose attention was a distinction in itself and yet he felt an uneasiness which he found it difficult to trace back to any particular cause he decided at last that he was annoyed to find that the casual mention of holroyd's name should still have power to discompose him that was a weakness which he must set himself to overcome at the same time no one could possibly discover his secret there was no harm done and before he reached his lodgings he decided that the evening had been pleasant enough End of chapter twenty one